Who's confused? Who's overwhelmed by that whole chapter of stuff? Yeah, when I first read this stuff, I was just overwhelmed. I was confused. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, but hopefully we can work through it together and unpack it together. Tonight, we're going to continue through our series on John. The Gospel of John started off by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and whilst he came to his own, his own did not receive him. The Word came down into the world, and some people received him, and some people didn't receive him, and we saw this happen quite a few times already. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that Jesus approached a Jewish man who was respectable, who knew his Old Testament very well, And he was sympathetic towards Jesus. And this guy, Jesus said, you know what? Even though you're so good, you're so righteous in in Jewish eyes, you still aren't in the kingdom of heaven. You need to be born again to get into the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus didn't quite get it. Last week, what we saw was a woman, a Samaritan woman. The woman, the, the Samaritans hated the Jews. She should not have listened to Jesus at all. And also with the Samaritans, we learned that they were a bit dodgy because they only had the first five books of the Old Testament. So if anyone wasn't going to get Jesus, it would have been the Samaritan woman. But in the end, this Samaritan woman believed that Jesus was God. And not just her, but many people in her village, a Samaritan village, believed in this Jewish man and called him the saviour of the world. She got it. Now tonight what we're going to see is Jesus going to unveil himself and reveal God to a bunch of other Jewish leaders. But this bunch of Jewish leaders, they're not going to be sympathetic to him like Nicodemus. And the question we need to be asking is, or they need to be asking is, will they accept Jesus? Will they understand who he is? And we see that this story, this long story, actually goes through three phases. The first one is Jesus performing a miracle, which we'll find out is actually a setup. A setup for him to identify himself, share his identity with the Jewish leaders and the crowds around them. And afterwards, he's going to call up three witnesses who will testify to the fact that what he said is actually true, right? So set up, identity, and testify. Set up, verses 1 through 15. Now, there's a huge amount of text that Annika just read for us, so we're not going to reread the whole thing, but let's just pick it up from chapter 6, verse... So chapter 5, verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured and picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, "Uh, The man who made me well said, to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Now, this miracle is a little bit strange for quite a few reasons. Firstly, usually with miracles, uh, the, the, the person getting healed has a little bit, a little a shred of faith in Jesus. You know, if I just touch his cloak, I can be healed. Or maybe he has a friend who has a bit of faith in Jesus. The passage right before this, which we didn't get to look at, was a, a, an official whose son was sick. And he believed in Jesus, and so he asked Jesus to heal his son, and his son was healed. And usually at the end of these things, uh, people go off and praise God and tell people how good God is for healing them. But this guy... Jesus heals him for no good reason. It's really funny. Jesus says to this guy who's been invalid for 38 years, do you want to be healed? 
That's strange enough. And the guy said, well, I can't get into the pond. I can't get into this pool when it stirs. And Jesus heals him anyway. And after this, the Jewish leaders came and said to, to this man, who is, who healed you? And the man had no idea who Jesus was. He couldn't have had faith in Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was. And on top of this, after Jesus revealed himself and told him to sin no more, this guy didn't go off and thank God for, for the healing. He actually went off and dobbed Jesus in, told the Jewish officials, you know, it's that guy who told me to, to walk with him out on the Sabbath. So it's a bit of a strange miracle. But not only is it a strange miracle for that reason, it's strange, it's, it's kind of weird because we're given a little bit of information about the timing of it. It was a festival, but we're not told which one. Usually those things are quite significant. But also we're given a lot of details about the location of this miracle. It was at the, the pool at Beth, Bethesda, which was right near the sheep gates. This is quite important. And also we're told that it is the Sabbath. All of these facts put together show us that Jesus is setting this miracle up as a sign to the Jewish leaders. You see, he knew what the Jewish leaders thought, and he knew that they knew. Jeremiah 17, this is what the Lord says, Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. He deliberately did this miracle on a Sabbath day for a guy who had a load, had a bed, and near a gate which he probably would have walked through to get home. He deliberately did this to set up the next thing he's going to do, which is to show them his identity. All miracles in the Bible aren't just miracles for miracles' sake. They're always signs that point to something. And here it's going to point to the identity of Jesus himself. So he moves on in verses 16 through to 30. Come with me to verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on a Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. See, these Jews, they caught Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And they said, Jesus, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? It's wrong. Now, Jesus could have slinked away and just said, well, actually, sorry, I thought it was Wednesday. I didn't know it was the Sabbath. Sorry, you know, my bad, my bad. Um, but he didn't, right? He doubled down. He said, you know what? My father, God, has been working all along. Right? God, God created in six days, the seventh day he rested, but after that, God kept working. He kept working to send prophets and teachers and kings to Israel. He, he punished Israel. He restored Israel. He protected Israel. He did all of these things. God continues to work. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I also work because I'm just like the Father. He's hinting to them that he is equal with God himself. And these Jews heard him exactly, heard exactly what he was saying. And they get incensed at this. And now they don't just want to persecute him. They want to kill him. And that makes perfect sense, right? Because these Jews are fierce monotheists. There is one God and no one is like him. How dare this guy come up and say that he's like God. And in fact, he's equal to God. So they want to kill him. Just as, it, that's just as they do that, just as uh, Jesus equates the Father and the Son and him being the Son, he then doubles down again. He says, you know what? There is a time that is coming and that has already come 
when the dead will listen to the Son's voice and receive eternal life. The dead will listen to his voice and will live. He's actually saying to them, you know what, you guys, you guys are Jews, the people of God, you guys are the Jewish leaders, you know your stuff, you've, you've been obeying all the laws, but you know what, you guys are dead. You guys are plain dead. You don't know God, you're not in his kingdom, you're dead. And the only way you can actually come to know God is to listen to the Son. Or you can imagine their reaction, can't you? They want to kill him before, they want to kill him straight away now. How dare you say we're dead? We're the children of Abraham. We've got the law, we've got the prophets. We're not dead, we're alive. The Gentiles are dead. But no, Jesus says, you are dead and you need me to live. Which isn't surprising, is it? Because that's exactly what he said to Nicodemus just two chapters ago. Nicodemus, the well-respected Jewish leader, you need to be born again to receive life. And these Jewish leaders, you need to be born again to receive life. But if you think that's bad, Jesus doubles down, doubles down even again. He says a time is coming in the future now when the very dead people will rise from the grave, called by God the Father to rise from the grave, and they will be judged by him. Judged by him. See, he creates like the Father, he gives them new creation, salvation, and now he's going to judge on the judgment day. The very dead will rise and receive our judgment. He's saying, everyone, Moses, who you love so much, who wrote the law, who gave you the law, he's going to rise up on the final day and be judged by me. Not only that, but Jacob, whose name got changed to Israel, who this whole country took their, their name from, he's going to rise up on the final day and be judged by me. Every king, every prophet, every priest, every Jew is going to be rise up and be judged by Jesus. And not just that, the whole world will be judged by Jesus. Every king of Assyria, of Persia, of Babylon, Julius Caesar, the Greek rulers, the whole lot, rise up and be judged by Jesus. At this point, the Jews want to kill him right now. They're willing to whip out their bazookas and just <laughs> nuke Jesus. Right? They, 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 they hate him for what he's saying. But you know what this means? It actually means that Jesus is going to judge everyone in the whole world. Flip forward 2,000 years later, it means, you know what, one day <clears throat> Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart will rise and he will be judged by Jesus. Mao will rise up and be judged by Jesus. Hitler will rise and be judged by Jesus. Einstein will rise and be judged by Jesus as well as Marilyn Monroe as well as Mother Teresa, as well as Princess Diana, as well as Djokovic, as well as this guy. Who is this guy, Christian? Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Yeah, he's got a big game on tomorrow. He's going to die one day, believe it or not, and he's going to rise up and be judged by Jesus as well. And of course, even ScoMo himself, Scott Morrison, our Prime Minister, will rise up one day and be judged by Jesus, as will all of you, as will I. We will all rise, be, rise up on the judgment day and be judged by Jesus. Now, I know some of us in this room, we, we, we like Christianity. That's why we're at church tonight. Uh, but when, when Christians talk like this, when Jesus talks like this, we sort of feel a little bit uncomfortable. We say, yeah, oh, you know, there's a lot of Muslims in the world. There's lots of Buddhists in the world. There's a lot of just atheists in the world. And it's kind of arrogant for us to say that we're the only way to God and that the, the, the only person who's going to judge everyone in the whole universe is Jesus. And if, if you're feeling a bit uncomfortable with that, it's fantastic that you're at your church tonight. Uh, thank you so much for spending your Sunday evening with us. 
if nothing else, to hear Jesus say that he's, the, he's God, there's only one God, and he'll rise up, we'll all rise up and be judged by him. If you're not sort of, you've got questions about that, that's fantastic. Uh, let me encourage you to kind of stay around, have Uber Eats with us afterwards, uh, ask a Christian who's sitting near you that question, or ask myself that question, uh, or Ness that question. Um, talk to us, and let's discover the truth of the claims of Jesus together. And you know what, even better than that, why don't you sign up for Life of Jesus course uh, on that tiny CC thing. That, that sign up for that course and then listen to the claims of Jesus and discover whether or not that's true or not. But there's another group of us in this room, and we actually think Christianity is great. Uh, we come to church when we can, but, you know, life is busy, and so, you know, we, we, we get here once a term, uh, once a month maybe, um, and small groups, well, we'll try to go to small groups, but, you know, we've got, got lots of stuff going on in our life. Um, Jesus is important. He's definitely one of the, the, the top ten things in the universe for me. And tonight, reading a passage like this uh, challenges that thinking, doesn't it? See, he's not one of the top ten things in the universe. He's the one who created. He's the one who gives new creation, salvation. And he's the one who's going to judge on the final day. He's not the top ten things. He's not the top five things. He's not even the top two things. He says he wants to be the top thing in your life, number one, no exceptions. And so at the start of this year, in 2019, let me encourage you to think about how we're going to make Jesus, give him his proper place, to put him as number one, not two, five, ten, one hundred. Because if Jesus is who he claims to be, the one who makes, remakes, and judges, then we really need, he's not an optional extra in life. He's actually the most critical thing we have. And we need to be obeying him, loving him, and getting to know him. But I suspect for many of us in this room, we're actually, uh, we're we're on board with that. We know Jesus is number one. Uh, But, and we've been Christians now for a year, maybe five years, maybe 20 years even, some of you, 20, 30 years even. We've been Christians for a while, and we've been relating to Jesus for a long time. And sometimes we forget. We get a bit familiar with Jesus. We talk to him as if he's our pal, our buddy. Now, that's good because Jesus does call us his friends, but we get a little bit too comfortable with Jesus. We forget that, yes, he's our friend, he's our older brother, but he's actually also God, equal with God the Father. He calls us to love him. He calls us to know him. He calls us to worship him in reverent fear. He calls us to do all these things because he's not just another friend. He's God. And I suspect those of us, like myself, who've known him for a while, we've become a little bit too familiar with Jesus. And a passage like this reminds us, yes, he's our friend, but he's our God. And so this year, we need to start treating him properly again as God. And one good test you can run for yourself to see if you're treating him as God is to think about what you want out of 2019. What do you want at the end of this year? Is it to get a boyfriend, get a girlfriend? Is it to graduate from university? Is it to get married? Is it to have a kid? Is it to retire healthy? Is it, what is it? Do well in your career? All those things are fine and they're great gifts from God. But if that's what we want in our 2019 and we only pray to God to give these things to us, then that probably suggests that we're treating Jesus as just a pal, even a servant, who will help us get the things we really want in life, rather than treating him as God himself. Let's change that thinking to thinking, what do I want out of 2019? You know what, I want, I want to be more like Christ I want my brothers and sisters here at 7pm across St Andrews to be more like Christ. I want my non-Christian friends to know Jesus a little bit more so they can get to know, 
take a few steps closer to becoming Christians. I want God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want God to be glorified and I want my life to fit into his plan for the universe, not he to fit into my plans. If our prayer is about God's kingdom growing and how we can be a part of that, then I think we're on the right track. We're actually treating him as God as well as having him as an intimate friend as well. So let me encourage you to think about what you want for 2019. And if you are here, and I often am, let me encourage you to shift across to this side of thinking. God is God, not us. Well, Jesus anticipates they're not going to agree with him, and so therefore he's going to, he knows he's going to enter into this, this, this discussion. I'm God. No, you're not. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. And so Jesus says, fine, let's stop this discussion. I'm going to give you three witnesses who are going to testify to my identity. And we'll find this in verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, Jesus is not saying I'm a liar, but in uh, Jewish customs, you have to have two or three external witnesses to back up your claim. So here is another, there is another, who testifies to my favour, and I know his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may believe, be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, though the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And The Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. Jesus said, if you don't believe me, fine. I'll give you three witnesses who will testify to the fact that I'm God. The first witness is John the Baptist, who they love, right? John the Baptist used to preach in the wilderness and hordes would go out to see him. And what did John the Baptist say? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. John the Baptist said, there's a one coming after me whose sandals I'm unworthy to even untie. John the Baptist said just two weeks ago, he must become greater, I must become less. John the Baptist says I'm God, believe him. But if you don't believe him, believe the second witness, which is my works. I do the works of God. God works all the time, I work all the time. God creates and gives life, I've just created and given life to this man who's been invalid for 38 years. And the very next chapter, God feeds his people in the wilderness, and Jesus is about to feed 5,000 in the wilderness. I do the works of God. They should tell you that I am actually God. But if you don't want to believe my works either, then I'm going to play my trump card. God the Father testifies that I am God too. God himself will testify. Well, where does God testify to this? Well, God testified to this through the Old Testament that they've got, through the scriptures, written by guys like Moses, but you sort of think, where, how, where, where, does, where does Moses say that Jesus is God? Now, where's that verse that says Jesus is God? Well, I'll tell you where it is. It's in Hezekiah 12.14. Right? Look it up in the Bible, Hezekiah 12.14. Doesn't exist, right? There's no such verse. This sounds like a Bible verse, but it's actually not. Right? But, so where is, it, where is the verse that, that, where it says that Jesus is God? Well, there isn't one verse that says Jesus is God, but if you look at the whole of the Old Testament, it's very clear. Right? In the Old Testament... If you sin, you must die. But by God's grace, you can actually kill an animal. 
and that will actually wash away a part of your sin. But when you sin again, you need another animal. And these animals are ultimately unfit to replace, to, to pay for human sin. So what we need is the perfect sacrifice. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Before you needed a priest to act as an interface between man and God. These priests were okay, some good, some bad. But what we need is a perfect priest who will last forever. Jesus, the great high priest. Before you needed a place to meet God, you had the tabernacle, which was temporary at best. We had a temple, as impressive as it was, if you saw in the Life of Jesus video. But that got knocked down. Another one got built, but was pretty sad. It's a bad replica. It wasn't as good. What we need is a perfect temple, a perfect place to meet God. And Jesus says, destroy this body, destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. Not only that, in the past, we need people to teach us about God. So God sent teacher after teacher, prophet after prophet. Hebrews tells us, in the past, God spoke to us through prophets, but in the final day, God will speak to us through his son. And in the past, Israel wanted leaders and judges and kings to lead and protect them. But there were some good, some bad, but none of them perfect. What they needed was the super king, the Messiah, the Christ. And just last week, with the woman at the well, Jesus says, I, who you're talking to, am he. I am the Christ. The whole of the Old Testament is screaming out for this super priest, super prophet, super king, and Jesus is that. Jesus is this guy. Jesus is God. Now, the funny thing, of course, is these, old, these Jewish leaders studied their scriptures diligently. They poured over this stuff. They, they, they looked at the laws. They looked at all the, the, all the, the history. And, on, and not only that, they actually built a whole bunch of other laws or traditions that they had to stop them from even getting near God's law so they'd never break God's law. They had all of these stuff. But yet, why is it that they couldn't see Jesus as the fulfillment of all of those things that the Old Testament talked about? Well, Jesus says here, it's because they wanted glory from one another and not glory from God. See, they wanted to obey all these little laws that they had made so the other rabbis and the other Jews would think, wow, they're so good, they're, they're, they're tithing, they're coming and their time and they're doing all these things. They've forgotten the law of God, the heart of God underneath it all. You see, this, this Sabbath thing is a case in point, right? This dude has been invalid for 38 years. How many people in this room are older than 38 yeah, a handful. <laughs> That's right. 38 years. Imagine, you were in for 38 years. And the Jewish leaders walked past these guys, this guy, a whole bunch of sick people, but this guy in particular. Let's call him Bob. And Bob's been there. Hey, Bob, how are you going? I'm still sick. All right. All right, see you tomorrow. But then Jesus comes and heals Bob. And you'd think if you're a leader of a Jew, the first thing you say is, wow, Bob, that is fantastic. It's so good that you're up and about, you're, you're walking. Um, fantastic. Congratulations. You know, it's good. But did they do that? No. They said, hey, Bob, you're, war- you're carrying your mat on a Sabbath. Cut that out. And by the way, who told you to do this terrible thing? See, they were so into their little traditions and their rules, they forgot that the Sabbath was made by God to be a blessing to people, to help people, not to restrict them from being healed and not to, to punish them for, for carrying their mats. They had forgotten God in the middle of their study of the scriptures and the external rules. Now we look at this and we're pretty disgusted. How can you possibly treat another human being like that? How can you be so narrow-minded and not see God? Well, we should be disgusted. But on the flip side, do we do the same things? You see, a lot of us here know the Bible quite well. A lot of you here are leaders in various camps outside church. You teach youth here at church. You do a lot of stuff at uni. 
You do even do stuff at work, running, uh, running prayer groups and Bible study groups at work. We know the Bible quite well. But when we read our Bible, and that's fantastic, right? Let me encourage you, keep on doing this, keep on reading the Bible, keep on listening to sermons, uh, keep on doing all the, reading books, books and all that. Keep on doing this. This is really, really good. But here's the trap, especially if you're a leader of some sort, and a lot of you are. The trap is we just get to know the Bible really well. We get to know the histories, the dates, the doctrines, all really good things. But we get so consumed with knowing this stuff. And we can talk about this stuff in small groups. And people think, oh, wow, such a godly person. They've got such great Bible knowledge. And we can talk a good game. But at the end of the day, we're still mean-spirited and hard-hearted and gossips and slanders. We still disobey God quite quickly and easily. Why? Because we've just got to know the Bible. We haven't got to know the God underneath it who created us, who recreates us, even though he should destroy us for our sin. In fact, he died for us and who will one day judge us for what we've done with our lives. We've forgotten that God and we just got stuck into Bible trivia. So let 2019 be a year where we read the Bible, keep on reading it and listening to talks about it, but actually engage with the God who wrote it to us in the first place. Know his character, know his forgiveness, know his love, and let it transform us so that we are loving and forgiving and generous to other people as well. Don't just read the Bible, get to know God behind the Bible. But then there's others in this room who are thinking, yeah, that's right, you know, that, those guys who just study the Bible all the time, yeah, you know what, well, I don't want to do that, I just want to live my Christian life out. I want to get out there and share the gospel and love people and, and be generous and organize stuff so that people can hear the gospel. If you're one of these people, that's fantastic. But if you're one of those people, let me encourage you to see that God actually revealed himself through the Old Testament, through the whole Bible. You really need to spend time with God's word. A sermon on a Sunday is good, but it's simply not enough to understand, to get to know, to deepen your relationship with God. You actually need to spend more time with him. So let me commend you small groups. It's a fantastic way to go and spend more time reading God's word with people around you, asking questions, dissecting the text, getting to actually understand the passage. And also to say, oh, I'm going to apply it this way. Can you please encourage me to do that? And let me encourage you to apply it this way as well. Get into do life with each other according to the Bible. But also let me encourage you also to, to just spend time immersed in God's word for yourself. You know, um, I mentioned before that I, we watch... I love the West Wing, right? So every, every couple of years, uh, me and my wife, we, we re-watch the West Wing, right? It's like reading the Bible, right? We know, we know, we know the story, right? We know it's there, but we watch it anyway, right? Because we love it. And, and so when do we watch West Wing? Well, we don't do it when we're sort of putting, bathing our kids. We don't do it when we're cooking dinner. We don't do it when we're washing up. No, we do all those things. We finish dinner. We finish the baths. We do our Bible study with the kids, and then we put the kids down, and rah, glory, now is the time. The house is quiet. We bust out the Roboise tea. We bust out the, the digestive biscuits. Uh, and then we, we just turn the screen on and we watch West Wing. And ah, oh, it just fills us. You know, at the end of a West Wing, we actually want to be White House staffers. At the end, oh, we're going to change the world. We're going to work for the present. No, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but but it, it actually affects us. So too, if the whole world is screaming at us, the values of the world, the truths of the world, we need to immerse ourselves in God's word. And you'll find if you immerse yourself in God's word, the same thing that happens with your TV show will happen for your Bible reading as well. So let me encourage you, one of the easiest ways you can do this is just to redeem your commutes or redeem the travel time. You're going to uni, you're going to work, you're going to visit a friend, just redeem that time. Instead of 
clicking through the AFR or the SMH or Facebook, instead of doing that, WhatsApping people, why don't you just read the Bible? Or, if, or why don't you just listen to a sermon? Why don't you listen to some Christian music and sing along? We sing lots of great songs here on a Sunday. Why don't you download, legally download those songs and just sing along in your car and just fill your hearts with the goodness of God. Immerse yourself in God's world. Realize how good he is. And you'll walk away thinking, yeah, God is great. And it's fantastic to be honored his children. Well, we've seen a lot tonight, haven't we? We've seen that there was a miracle that Jesus did, healing this, this dude, this Bob, who'd been invalid for 38 years. But really, it was just a setup, like all miracles, a sign. The sign was Jesus' identity, identity as God. Will we take his identity seriously this year? Uh, if we're not sure, let's ask questions about him. If we are sure, let's prioritize him as number one. And if we are sure, and we already are prioritizing him as number one, then let me encourage you to remember, he is our friend. He's our intimate relationship with him but he's also our God, and to treat him with that reverent fear that we should. And lastly, we saw that the, the John the Baptist and also his works testified to Jesus' identity, but also God himself, and God did it primarily through the scriptures. Let me encourage you to read the Bible, but not just read it for the sake of reading it, read it to get to know God. And if you're not reading it a lot, let me encourage you to read it even more this year. Amen.